Um, this morning, um, our scripture reading comes from First Thessalonians chapter one, verses one through ten. Um, this passage can be found on page eight hundred thirty-five of some of the pew Bibles. Again, it's chapter one, verse one through ten. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and for continually, and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by our hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how he lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Caia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They, now t they tell you how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. May God bless his word. Good morning to you. Thank you for the honor of having called me to be the interim pastor of Crossbridge as you're seeking uh, the next uh, lead pastor here. I see Crossbridge as one of the great gospel outposts in this part of the country. And it's a real honor to be associated with you and to participate. You may not see yourself that way because, you know, when you're close to something, uh, you tend to not see the bigger picture. But from a little distance, my distance, uh, I think this is one of the great gospel preaching outposts in this part of our country. So it's an honor to be associated with you. Now, we begin 1 Thessalonians today, and let me try to provide an entrance into it by calling your attention to a recent movie musical, The Greatest Showman. It stars Hugh Jackman, and uh, it is about the circus entrepreneur P.T. Barnum, right? And uh, one of the popular songs is This Is Me. And it's a, it's a tremendous statement against prejudice. And uh, because, you know, in the circus, P.T. Barnum gathered what he called oddities. The extremely tall, the extremely small, the extremely large, the person covered with tattoos all over, the bearded lady, oddities. And so this song, uh, This Is Me, it takes a stand against prejudice, the, uh, the hatred that those, perform, those circus performers uh, received. So here are some of the lyrics. This is the chorus of the song. When the sharpest words want to cut me down, 
I'm going to send a flood, going to drown them out. I am brave. I am bruised. I am whom I'm meant to be. This is me. Look out, because here I come, and I'm marching on to the beat that I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. Now, it's an inspiring stand against prejudice, but there's another message for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. The other message is very common in movies and musicals and in our society in general. The other message is that the goal of life is to be true to yourself. Accept who you are, and since it is who you are, declare that person good. A commentator, Max Schneider, says, he says, uh, this, this message about being yourself is the heart of almost every commencement address. We hear things like, follow your passions, just be yourself, look inside your heart and you'll find the answers. Schneider says, there's a double edge to all of this because I like the ass, the, uh, because he likes the aspects of this song that take a stand against uh, shame and hate and discrimination. He says, but ultimately, I can't shake the sense that the punchline, the, 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 the true message of the song tells me that freedom is found in just accepting who we are. What it, but what if the authentic part of you happens to be selfish <laughs> or manipulative, using people. Do you have to accept that because that's whom I'm meant to be? And so I'd like to suggest that we hear songs like that and we, uh, we, we examine words like that and celebrate the good parts and take a stand with the good parts, but also ask Who are you in Christ? Not who do you define yourself to be, but what has God created? See, freedom for the Christian is identifying ourselves as sinners in need of the grace of God and having received the grace of God and taking the path of discipleship in following him. Then we discover freedom and joy, and happiness, all the things that that song is promoting and that people are looking for today. And 1 Thessalonians is our handbook. It's going to help us find ourselves by seeing who we are, seeing who God is, hearing his voice to follow him, receiving his grace to do so, we will find ourselves not by looking inside, but outside to someone else, namely Jesus Christ. See, that's our handbook. It's the beauty of a handbook is that it gives us just the right amount of information, not too little, not too much. 
It gives you the essentials of what it means to be a believer in Christ. It is going to talk about, do you, do you remember from last week, some of these topics? Today, how to tell you if you're really a Christian? How to share the gospel, you know, evangelism, evangelism that's part of being, that's part of our handbook, part of being a believer. How to live for God. How to rejoice while grieving, that's part of what believers experience simultaneously rejoicing even while grieving, how to get along with each other and so forth. This is our handbook uh, for believers. And today, how to tell if you're really a Christian. When we, uh, we, we start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. When you read, you begin with A, B, C. When you sing, you begin with when you start First Thessalonians and start talking about what it means to be a believer, you begin with, well, what is a believer? How can I tell if I'm part of this tribe, part of this gang? What does it look like to be a believer in our Lord Jesus Christ? In other words, what are the marks, the signs of true conversion? I remember the first time I doubted where I stood with the Lord in terms of salvation and being a believer and following him. The first time I questioned whether I was really a Christian actually came the day after I had come to Christ. Many of you were in church last week and you heard my testimony. You may remember I came to the Lord when I was 14 years old. It was during a Wednesday night prayer meeting. <laughs> I walked the aisle, I came to the Lord, that one of the elders of the church showed me in the Bible how to become a Christian, and I left church that evening, uh, walking on cloud nine and rejoicing greatly, and then, the next morning, on the way to school, I was 14 years old, leaning against the window pane on a frosty, cold morning, I started thinking, what have I gotten myself into? Wondering if I'd gotten myself into anything. That is to say, is any of this true? Is any of this real? What happened last night? What was that? And my spirit sank and I was mighty low. And I prayed the simple prayer of a new believer, a simple little prayer. I said, Lord, if you're real, if any of this stuff is real, Please show me. And I remember distinctly leaning against the window pane on a frosty morning. I remember a burden lifted and my spirit lifted and a peace came over me. I think the Lord answered that prayer. Now, if I was a TV evangelist, my next line would be, and I've never had a doubt since. <laughs> I am not a TV evangelist. I don't remember when the next season of doubt came, but come it did. And so I offer this teaching from 1 Thessalonians, the, fir the first chapter, for those of you who doubt. Is any of this real? Is, it, is my commitment real? Am I really a believer? 
I also offer this teaching to those of you who help people that doubt. Your kids or somebody, a friend, or what do you say to them if they doubt their salvation? I don't know. I don't know if I'm a believer. I don't, I don't know what it looks like. What do you say to them? Well, maybe we can see the marks of true conversion. I also offer this teaching this morning for those of you who never doubt your salvation. Well, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, boom, that's it. I said that prayer 25 years ago. and I Look at the marks, the, the signposts of true conversion, and sort of measure up. So do I, do I, am I a believer? And so what are the marks of true conversion? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. First Mark, verse 5, the gospel comes to us with power. Has the gospel come to you, as the Bible says, with power? We know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. How did the apostle Paul know that? So the Apostle Paul is separated from this little, you know, fledgling church in the the, uh, northern Greece, Macedonia, this uh, this town called Thessalonica. It's still there today, by the way. Today it's called Thessaloniki. (laughs) You can go visit it. And he's writing to this new church, and he's from a distance, and he says to you, hey, hey, you guys, I know God has chosen you. How did he know? Where'd that confidence come from? Because they displayed this first mark. The God, what does verse 5 say? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. This is similar to our Lord Jesus with his parable about the sower and the seed. Do you remember that? A farmer went out and was sowing seed. The seed in the parable, it means the word of God, you know, the preached word, the Bible. And the farmer, he's out there sowing the seed. Where does the seed fall? Because he's just kind of flinging it. Well, some of the seed falls on the path, the footpath between the, uh, the fields. And that footpath is just as hard as cement. And the seed hits that thing and bing, ding, 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 it just bounces and it doesn't penetrate. And uh, the birds come and, and that's it. The gospel, the word, did not penetrate. It, it did not come with power to that group, that kind of soil. The seed also fell on uh, uh, shallow ground. Uh, There's just a little bit of topsoil, and it's nice and warm. You know, the sun bakes it, and that seed begins to grow immediately because it germinates and it, it grows. But there's no depth. There's no place for the roots. There's a bedrock right underneath that topsoil, and the plant withers. I don't know if the gospel came with power. At least it didn't continue with power in that person's heart. 
The third group, do you remember? He's flat there flinging the seed, and some of the um, seed falls on ground, and it springs up, it starts to grow, but then it is choked by thorns and weeds. Jesus said the word is choked by the cares of the world and by persecution. The gospel may have come with power, but it didn't continue with power. Then there's a fourth group, good soil. The seed lands there, it sends down roots, it grows, it bears fruit, it flourishes. I'm asking you, those of you who doubt your salvation, those of you who counsel others who doubt their salvation, those of you who never doubt your salvation, has the gospel come? What does he say? Not just with words, blah, blah, blah. Power, the Holy Spirit, full conviction. Another way to think of this is to ask, have you heard the gospel? And I mean really heard the gospel. If you've taken a class in interpersonal communication, you may study listening, hearing. You may learn that there are levels of listening, different kinds of listening. Down at the bottom level is uh, uh, just background noise. Uh, sound waves are striking your ears, but uh, that's all the further it goes. You don't concentrate on it. You're not even really aware of it. Shall we listen in silence for a moment at background noise? What do you hear? Coughing, what else? <laughs> Is there a fan or something? Were you even, that noise has always been there since you walked in this morning. Were you aware of it? No, it's, it's background noise. And we don't really call that listening, do we? I guess you could on one level, because physically sound waves are striking your ear, causing vibrations in your inner ear. To... It's just background noise. In our society, for some people, the gospel is background noise. In this pluralistic culture we live in, with all multi-religions and multi-ways uh, ways to God and, and uh, the, the nuns, those who don't really believe anything, and they hear messages like, God loves you. <laughs> Repent, the end is near. <laughs> you must be born again. You know, we hear these phrases and it's just part of the blah, blah background noise. You cannot say the gospel has truly come with power to the person who hears phrases like that and it's just part of the blah blah. Next level of listening. Attention. You actually attend. You, you listen to the sound of the fan. <laughs> has the gospel received have you given your focus, your attention? Have you tuned your ear? Next level. Interpretation. Now we're getting into serious listening. You're not just paying attention, you're actually thinking about it. 
you're thinking, well, is that true? Or what, what would that look like in my life? And you're interpreting this story we call the gospel. There's one more level. What's the top level of listening? This is true, bona fide, whole person listening. What's the top level? Turn to the person next to you and guess. One, two, three, go. I'll give you seven seconds. (laughs) Time is up. (laughs) The top level is, anybody want to take a guess? Yeah, in the red, red sweat. Action. Another guess? <laughs> yeah, very similar response. And that is exactly right. Now, you guys, that is true listening. It's not just background noise. It's not even just giving your attention, although that's necessary. It's not even just thinking about, well, um, hmm, I wonder what she means by that. And if that's true, then what are the... It's yielding to the thing you're listening to. What I'm saying is the Bible teaches that the first mark of being a real believer is the gospel comes with power. So do you know the gospel story? Is it just background? Have you given it your attention? Have you thought about it? The gospel story says that we owe God a great debt. See, he created us to honor him. We we naturally owe him that. Honor, worship, obedience, love. This is the natural order in the universe. Creator, created, father, child, Lord, subject. We owe this to him. But we rebel. We don't give him our love and allegiance. The Bible says, God says to us, love your neighbor. We owe him that. But we say, nah, I think I'll use my neighbor. God says, honor your parents. We say, nah, they're in my way. God says, control your tongue. We say, nah, I will gossip and complain and tear down other people I don't like because I'm the one in charge. My words are a tool for self, not a tool to honor God. And our debt piles up. I'm not saying you never do a good thing. No, no, we, 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 there, we, we, there's, there's, there's bravery and selflessness and, and love, but, but our debt piles up for what we owe God. And so, you know the gospel story, don't you? 
So God sent his own son who owed no debt to God. They had this beautiful, perfect, sinless relationship. And yet Jesus on the cross took our debt. How did that happen? How did this man bleeding on a cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sky grew dark, the earth shook. How at that moment did he absorb our debt? How, the Bible says, our sin was laid on him. How did that happen? We're not really sure. There's many different theories. They call it theories of the atonement. But the word of God is clear that at that moment when God turned his back on his son, remember, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, Jesus was made into sin for us. He absorbed our debt and paid the price. And now we believe in him and thank him and serve him. By faith, we give ourselves to him and we are believers. You might think of it this way. There was a movie a few years ago called The Last Sin Eater. Interesting title, huh? The Last Sin Eater. What in the world does that mean? Well, it was, uh, it's referring to a custom in uh, the... Uh, late 1800s, early 1900s in the Appalachian Mountains, sort of the, the hillbilly kind of people. And the idea was that uh, all of us have done wrong. All of us have sinned. And when a person dies, their sins are still on them and they, they can't go to heaven. And they're, I don't know if they're kind of trapped in a limbo world or kind of purgatory or something. And so they choose a person in the village, usually an outcast, sometimes a stranger, and this person becomes what they called the sin eater. Here's a woodcut. It's not a great picture, but can you tell what's going on here? This is a skull and crossbones. This is a coffin. And this person is handing across the coffin the elements of communion, bread and wine. And so the theory said, and it's half magic, half folklore, half uh, spiritual uh, folk religion, so it is said that when the elements of communion went across the dead person's body, across the coffin, and the, on the other side, when the sin eater ate those things, the, their sins were absorbed into those elements, and the sin eater became a sacrifice and a substitute. So said the half-magical, half-folklore, quasi-Christian <laughs> quasi-pagan message. But my question for you is, is there not an element of truth here? No, I don't think I can eat your sins and God holds you guiltless because I've done... But there's one person 
and his name was Jesus, who absorbed, ate, became, paid our debt. This is the message of the gospel. And we believe in him. And we love him and serve him and follow him because of this great deed he has done. And the universe gets realigned as we become the created and he is creator and we are followers and he is leader and we are servants and he is master. And this is called the gospel. Have you heard it? At what level have you heard it? First mark of really being a, a, a real true Christian, a believer, the gospel comes with power. We've gone back to the beginning. Second mark. We receive the gospel with joy. Verse 6. You received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is really the top level of listening, isn't it? You, you, you received the word, you, you responded, you believed, you, you cast yourself upon this story we call the gospel. That's what the Thessalonica, the people from Thessalonica did. That's what many people at Crossbridge and at CBCGB have done. Have you received this word? Has there been a time in your life, you may not remember the exact date like I can remember, you know, I was 14 years old, but has there been a time in a life when you said, I believe this, I own this, with joy, thank you, God. This is not just background noise, it's not even just mere information, Bible facts. I believe it. And I'm staking my eternity on the fact that Jesus was the last sin eater. You might think of it this way. You might think of it this way. This is a true story. This happened in Galveston, Texas in uh, 2009. Unusual currents in the Gulf, in the Bay of Galveston, Texas, had uh, scoured out deep trenches there in the bay uh, next to the rock jetty that stuck out uh, into the middle of the bay. It made uh, swimming in that area very dangerous because the water could go from very shallow to very deep in just a step or two, and you had these weird swirling uh, currents. So the lifeguards moved everybody away from that area, but one man on a boogie board refused to listen. And suddenly he slipped off of his boogie board into one of those trenches and he began just thrashing in the water. Well, a 17-year-old female lifeguard saw him and swam to him. She pushed her own life preserver to him, but he panicked 
and he fought against her. He tried to crawl on top of her. Drowning vic victims uh, often panic like this, so lifeguards are taught actually to push away or to dive under until they can uh, regain control of the situation. In this case, she pushed away from him, leaving him clinging to her life preserver. She circled around behind him and got a rope around him, and she tried to pull him against the current, but it was just too strong. So she tried swimming with the current all the way around the end of the jetty. She explained to him what she was doing, but he argued with her. He tried to pull the other direction, and they were having a tug of war. Then the rope snagged on one of the rocks of the jetty, and the current snapped the rope taut. Uh, the life preserver was still keeping him above the water, but the current pushed her under, and she came up uh, yards away and uh, was, was gone and circled around. Well, this man was still on the life preserver, and uh, she ran back to the lifeguard tower and called for help. A minute later, two other lifeguards dove in, but he fought them off, and then he slipped off of the life preserver. The current pushed him under. The lifeguards were swept away. Six other lifeguards <laughs> arrived by this time, but he was gone. They searched for 50 minutes until they found the body. They administered CPR, but it was far too late. Question, why did he die? In biblical terms, because he did not believe in that 17-year-old lifeguard. He thought he knew better. He thought his way was right. He didn't trust her, she was 17 years old. And he suffered the consequence. You understand the story, you understand the analogy. The Bible says when the gospel comes with power, we receive it or we believe it. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, whoever believes in him. This biblical belief is a whole person, whole heart, commitment and if you doubt your salvation or if you're helping someone who doubts his or her salvation or if you never doubt your salvation but maybe you should think about it ask yourself have I received it do I believe it am I clinging to it have I committed myself to it, or am I still trying to run my own life, trying to save myself through X, Y, and Z? God is nice, but he's kind of out there, whatever. I... The second mark of really being a Christian is that we receive this word with joy. Third mark we enter the long road of discipleship. Verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Verse 7, you became an example to all the believers. I'm calling this 
the long road of discipleship. See, the first two marks are past tense. You heard the word, the gospel came with power. You received the gospel message, you believed it. And now the third mark is present tense. You're walking the long road. If you doubt your salvation, it may be because you're not walking as a disciple. You claim to believe this, but if a person looked at your life, it'd be like, well, I don't know if they really believe that or not. They seem to kind of believe in themselves. No, the third mark of being a true believer is we live it out. We walk the long road of discipleship. What does that look like? It looks like the rest of the book of 1 Thessalonians. That's what we're going to study in our handbook. It looks like the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has gone forth ever. It means we sound forth the message. We do evangelism. We share the message. We've got a couple of message, sermons coming up on that topic next week, the following week. We won't dwell on it here. Just to say that if you really believe this message, it's going to be very natural to tell other people about it. That's what we do with good news. It also looks like turning to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You turn from idols. Remember, this is a polytheistic culture. Mount Olympus, the home of the gods in Greece, is like 50 miles away from Thessalonica, you turn away from those idols to serve the true and living God. All of us are in process in turning away from idols. And if you're doing that, and if you're, if you're uh, worshiping God and repenting of your sins and turning to him, that's a mark that you truly believe in him. If you're worshiping your idols, then I don't know. It's, not, it's like a mark of something else, not of being a believer. If you worship money, you'll always want more. If you worship beauty, you'll always feel ugly. If you make an idol out of success, always feel like a failure. If you make an idol out of education, you always feel dumb, striving for more. And so true disciples have turned away from idols to serve the living in God. And here's the final, um, final characteristic of that third mark. We are waiting for his son from heaven. The second coming of Christ appears, or that topic appears in every chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And it's one of the marks that you're on this long road of discipleship. You think about Jesus coming. You're motivated by it. You long for it. You're working in light of it as we wait for the sun to return from heaven. All right, my friends, what are the signs, the marks of being a true believer? Number one, the gospel comes with power and the Holy Spirit and true deep conviction. I'm talking about you've really heard this message. Number two, 
you've received that message, you believe in it, like the, the lifeguard story, you, you, you give yourself to that 17-year-old lifeguard, you, you trust her, you believe in her, you commit yourself, in this case, to Christ. Number three, we start walking, present tense, <laughs> this long road of discipleship. That means you turn away from idols, that means you share the gospel with others. That means you're waiting for Jesus to come back from heaven. That's what it looks like to be a believer in our Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. We do believe it. Help us to live it out. And please settle the doubts of those who aren't sure where they stand with you or those who are helping others that aren't sure where they stand with you. And please touch our hearts, those of us who have walked with you a long time. Help us also to consider where we stand with you. The gospel comes with power. We receive it with joy. We start walking the long road of being a follower. Through Christ our Lord, amen.